0: Living Water, how's everyone doing? Good, good. good, good. Uh, uh, my name is uh, James Axel, and uh, like Pastor Harry said, uh, I'm a member here. I've, I've been here for about three or four years now, and uh, I just want to uh, thank Pastors Mike and Ben in their absence for uh, the honor and the privilege to be able to share God's Word. Is something that uh, I never take for granted. I want to say good morning to those that are watching uh, via the live stream, and uh, I, I'm not gonna be before you long. Uh, however, I am gonna be a little bit longer than yesterday. Uh, I don't wear a watch, and so when I was outside yesterday, I didn't have any sense of time, and I uh, thought I was up there a lot longer than I actually was, and I think it may have been the shortest living water service that we had. So if you have plans, you should have came yesterday. It would have been like a, an express, a 45-minute service. But uh, for those of you that uh, have your Bible, if you have a smart device, if you can turn to uh, Romans chapter 3, we're going to pick up at verse 9 and go all the way down to the 20th verse. Once again, that's Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. And once you have it, I humbly ask that you would stand uh, for the reading of God's word. And it reads as thus What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. and the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in His sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to share Your Word, Lord God. I, I thank You. I, I, I don't take it for granted. I just humbly ask that you would use me uh, for your glory, remove me out of the way, Lord God, if there's any sin, if there's anything that would impede your word from coming forth through me, I ask that you would remove it now. And I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, um, everyone that is watching at home, Lord God, I I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you, Um, that we would take heed to the message, that we would be appreciative of your love and your mercy and your goodness, and that we would, that we would hate our sin and that we would hate anything that separates us and keeps us from you i pray that you would be glorified for us in jesus name i pray amen so uh growing up as a child one of my favorite things to do uh, like many kids is to play video games and uh i didn't discriminate you know if it was sonic the hedgehog uh mario brothers street fighter i, I was a gamer up until i was about 25 years old it was all good and so when I turned 14, there was one game in particular that hit the market and I just absolutely had to have it. Now, I see that there are some children in the audience, so I, I wanna be clear, this is not an endorsement of this video game. This is, uh, this is an introduction, this is a part of my testimony. But when I was 14 years old, uh, a game called Mortal Kombat 2 came out. And uh, for those of you that are not familiar with the game, it is extremely violent. It's basically two characters who fight to the death and when you defeat a character, the person that has been defeated, they're, they're out on their feet, they're wobbling for about 10-15 seconds and then this voice shouts out instructs for you to finish him. And so you've got a couple of seconds to do the move, the finishing move, and then you go on to the next opponent. And when this game came out it just took over i remember going to the arcades and it felt like you were at hershey park it felt like you were waiting to to get on a roller coaster um the game as a matter of fact if i'm not mistaken there was a movie that just came out a couple of months ago uh, a mortal kombat movie so this game was wildly popular and when i was 14 they came out with the second one and i had to play it i didn't just have to play it i had to have it but The problem was I was 14 years old, didn't have a job, it wasn't my birthday, and it wasn't Christmas, which meant asking my parents for the $50 was not an option. So being the uh, virtuous, morally upright teenager that I was, I, I, I devised a plan to borrow the video game indefinitely. So... As, as a child, I, I grew up in the church and we were constantly in church service uh, two, three times a week. It, it was not unusual. And so one particular week there was, in, uh, there was a youth service. It was an all day Saturday service, uh, pretty much from like nine to five or something like that. And so while we were in this youth service, I knew that nearby the church, there was a store that would have the video game that I wanted. And so after about three or four hours, of this service. They gave us an intermission. They gave us uh, maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour to stretch our legs, get something to eat and come back to the service. And so during the intermission, I hollered at my best friend at the time, whose name was Mario. And I I told him my plan. He was in agreement. And so during the intermission, we left, we went over to the store. Now, this is back in the day. I'm, I'm old. I'm an 80s baby. So this is back in the day before they had the video games in the case. Now you go and you point out the game that you want, and they unlock it, and they hand you the game. But back then, it was, it was almost imagine yourself going to the library, and there's just video games on the shelf. And so as I go to the store, I look, I look, I look, and eventually I see Mortal Kombat 2. I grab it. I slip out of the store and go back to church and wait for the church service to start. So, yeah, I was one of those kids. Pastor James would not have enjoyed me (laughs) when I was younger. And so um, I'm excited. And as the adrenaline is coming down, as the excitement is coming down, I look around and I don't see my best friend. And I'm not tripping because we got some time. We had a nice long break. We had about 20 minutes before service started up. And after about another five minutes, I began to get extremely nervous. And each minute felt like an hour. And so eventually I mustered up the courage to talk to a couple of my other friends who were there. They were a little bit older than me. They didn't know what I had just done, but I asked them if they would just walk with me to the store because I was looking for Mario. And so as we go back, uh, as I go back with a group of friends, we go to the store and, and sure enough, uh, my, my biggest fear had been realized. Uh, there was a circle of adults surrounding my best friend, and there was a man in the middle who uh, didn't work at the store, but apparently him and my friend had got into it, and it looked like my friend was about to get beat down. So when we all saw what happened, we rushed through the circle to to uh, protect our friend. Thankfully, cooler heads prevailed. The police came, and immediately, my friend and I were arrested. And so, as I'm in the jail cell, Uh, I am proclaiming my innocence, I'm telling the cop, you don't understand, you got the wrong kid, it wasn't me. And so the cop does something very, very interesting. He opens the cell, allows me to walk out, takes me to another small room, uh, tells me to sit down, pops in a VHS and proceeds to show me from an aerial view, me going into the store, looking at the games, picking the game I wanted, and then slipping out. And then he looks at me, and he asks me a question. What did you think all of those black balls in the ceiling was? And at that moment, I felt like a donkey because I had planned out what I was going to do, how I was going to do it, but I never considered that there was something up above watching my every step. And I want to ask us, brothers and sisters, how many times do we live our lives and we move around and we never consider that someone is watching us? Uh, As we turn our attention back to the scriptures in verse 9, Paul is telling his Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, I believe last week, Pastor Ben eloquently spoke about uh, one of the advantages that the Jew had, which was um, God's word, being able to read uh, the oracles of God. But in verse 9, Paul is, 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 is instructing his Jewish brothers and sisters not to get it twisted. He says, even though we have the law, it doesn't make us better because God has declared that we are all guilty. All of humanity stands condemned before God. We have all sinned. We have all lived our life and not considered the one who has created us. And this is a a common theme that that is reinforced time and time again in the New Testament. I think of... uh, Peter, in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius, the the centurion, wants to meet him and is looking to hear a word, and the Bible says that God uh, causes Peter to fall into a deep trance, and he proceeds to tell him, don't call anyone unclean who I have cleansed. And then as we look at Acts chapter 15, there's a council in Jerusalem, and, and the Pharisees are basically telling the Gentiles, okay, it's cool that you believe in Jesus, but you still have to follow the law. And time and time again, what we see when we come to the New Testament is, is what Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 sums up, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, we are all one in Christ. You see, the gospel levels the playing field. There's no ethnic group that can claim moral or spiritual superiority above another. And as Paul begins, as Paul continues pinning this letter, he, he's very aware and he knows that he's not going to get a lot of, uh, I imagine as, as he's pinning this letter, he he understands that he's not going to get a lot of speaking engagements. He's not going to win a, a Pulitzer surprise for this. But he he doubles down on his point and he he strengthens it in verses 10 and 11 by saying, no one understands. I'm sorry, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Here the apostle Paul is quoting Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, and I want to read that real quickly. Psalms 14, 1 through 3, even one. As I read this, along with verses 10 and 11, I'm I'm reminded of a quote by a French writer uh, named Voltaire, and, and he says, if God has created us in his own image, we have more than reciprocated. And what I gather from that is, that because we are spiritually dead, because we're not seeking God, because we don't understand, what we've done in effect is we've created the type of God that we can serve, that we can get with. We've lowered the bar to the point where we can humble ourselves and serve God, but we're not really serving God. We're serving our own desires, our own imagination. Let's unpack that for a little bit give you a couple of examples. There are some groups of people who venerate their ancestors and they believe that their ancestors are mediators and a way to access the one true God. And then there are other groups of people who believe that there are millions of gods, And depending on the the blessing that you need, depending on the circumstance that you're going through, all you have to do is access that particular God to be blessed. And then there are other groups of people who believe that, hey, it's not about going to heaven or hell, but what you have to do is rid yourself of worldliness and material materialism so that you can become enlightened and eventually take yourself off of this cycle of life. And then there are other people who believe that there is one God, but there are um, strict rules. There are laws that you have to abide by. And if you do those faithfully to the best of your ability on the day of judgment, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, eventually you will be accepted. And then there are other individuals who want to follow God, but They come across certain passages, and so they embrace a God that will uh, wink at their sexual preferences, even though the Bible clearly calls it sin. And then you have other groups of people who may have been fueled by past and present injustices and they see things almost exclusively through the lens of race and ethnicity and they have elevated that above God's word and they refuse to walk in forgiveness. And then you have other groups of people who have bowed to the idol of American exceptionalism and believe that their faith is inextricably linked to a political affiliation. And then you have other groups of people that the book of Psalms talks about in 14 uh, verses 1 through 3 who are, the Bible calls them fools, and they say, there is no God. I'm going to live a life of hedonism, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And this just clearly highlights that no one understands, no one sees, God, there is none righteous, no, not one. As we go, as we go to verse 12, Paul continues his point and he says, All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good. You notice how many times he's saying that? No one does including everyone. No one does good, not even one. And in verse 12, that word worthless in the Greek is "akreao," and it means to make useless or to render unserviceable. And as I come across that passage, uh, I don't have this on the slide, Evan, but uh, when I read that, I constantly thought about the account in Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. I just want to read a couple of verses. This is Noah's Ark. Most of us are familiar with that, but I just want to read three verses. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And if we skip down to verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Here we see God grieved at his creation. And beloved, this is This is sad. This is profoundly sad because there is a chasm between us. There there is a chasm between humanity and the rest of creation. Why? Because we were created in God's image. And because we bear the image of God, there are certain attributes that we share with God, not to the same degree as God, because he is infinite and he is eternal. But there are some communicable attributes that we share with our creator. For example, there's goodness, there's love, there's truthfulness. But sin has hijacked us to the point that even some of those attributes have become tainted. As we scroll down to to verse 13, Paul continues his point. And here, he references Psalms, chapter 5, verse 9. I, I want to read that real quick. I believe that's one of the slides. Uh, Psalms, chapter 5, verse 9. He's referring to David in this passage, and he says, For there is no truth in their mouth. Speaking of the wicked. Uh oh. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. And as we go back to Romans chapter 3, Paul continues this comparison uh, of the mouth being being a, a grave. He says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The poison or the venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And if we combine this, these verses with what we just read in Psalms, we see that they're talking about the, the sin of flattery and cursing and bitterness and malice and lying. God gave us a mouth to proclaim his glory, to magnify him, to talk to him in prayer, to share the gospel, to be able to speak the truth in love and to encourage one another. But sin has hijacked it, and our speech has become corrupted. Paul continuing his, his point, knowing that it doesn't just stop there, he goes on in verses 15 through 17, and he talks about their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Here he's referring to Isaiah chapter 59. Verses seven and eight. And as 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 the Jew would read this, I would imagine that as they read this, they, they would recollect and they would think about all the wars that they've had, the, the strife that they had with the Egyptians and the Amalekites and the Babylonians, and just the history of bloodshed. But if we contextualize that today, brothers and sisters, we know that we live in a violent, violent world. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking, well, maybe I can just uh, pull up some some quick crime statistics in Harrisburg or Dauphin County or or Pennsylvania, but none of that is necessary because if you've been alive for a couple of years, you know that the history of our world is filled with wars and it's filled with murder and it's filled with genocide and military coups and rapes and assassination and chattel slavery and lynches and all types of bloodshed. Why? Because of sin. Verse 18 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. One of the things that I believe it was Bongo that he talked about a couple of weeks ago, he was uh, speaking on Romans chapter 1 verse 21, and he talked about how because man was unthankful because they knew god and they didn't glorify him as god and, and they became unthankful as a result of that their foolish heart was darkened and we see that here when when you suppress the light you're ultimately consumed by darkness and as we look at this this pattern uh, going from verse 9 working down to verse 18 it starts off by declaring in verse 9 that we are all under sin. And then verses 10 and 11, it talks about that there is a spiritual dullness. There is a lack of prayer we don't understand. And because we're jacked up internally out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And because we're jacked up on the inside, our mouths spew forth cursing and lies and bitterness and malice. And it doesn't just stop there, but it continues to progress to bloodshed and violence. This is the fruit of sin. We are deeply, deeply flawed. And as Paul is writing this, he, he, he knows that this is not a feel-good passage. This isn't going to get his, his brothers and sisters shouting. They're not going to be excited to read this. This is uncomfortable, but it is necessary truth. He goes on in verse 19. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin." You see, these are uncomfortable truths. These are things that we don't want to hear. We are all inclined to uh, believe that we are good at the end of the day, but Paul is breaking it down and he is letting them know that, listen, we're not better than the Gentiles. We are all sinners. We are all messed up. And I use this next illustration as delicately as possible. But for those who may feel some sort of discomfort or they may discover something and they go to the doctor or they go to the specialist and the specialist sees them and says, I- I'm sorry to tell you, but we-, we-, we found cancer. When you initially hear that, I can only imagine the emotions, the wave of emotions that would come over someone. Some people may be filled with anger. Others may be filled with fear. Others may be uh, in denial. And as troubling as that news is, there is a a silver lining in that cloud, which is at least you know what you are dealing with. And the doctor or the specialist has identified the cancer. And hopefully by the grace of God, through radiation, through treatment, through medicine, through surgery, hopefully there can be a cure. And that cancer can go into remission. And so here, Paul is laying out the human condition. Paul is letting us know that we are sins, we are sinners, we have all been affected by sin. But fortunately, it doesn't end there because there is a cure. I'm reminded of the song that says, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so in closing, told you I wasn't gonna be before you long. So in closing, as the police officer showed me the video. Now this was, this was back in the day, this was, this was like 1994, but it felt like he had a Blu-ray player hooked up to a 4K TV, high def. It was so crystal clear, it was undeniable. I could no longer lie and continue the insanity and say that it wasn't me. It was so clear when he popped in this VHS that just like the scripture says, my, my mouth was stopped and I was immediately convicted of my sin. And then the police officer, real, real cool brother, probably in his, looking back on it, he was probably in his early 20s. And he started to talk to me and he said, hey, man, you don't got to live this type of life. He said, you can, you can cut grass to get the money. He said, you can shovel snow, you can rake leaves, you can wash cars. You're not old enough to get a job, but there are things that you can do to get the money. He said, you could have even waited a couple of months and asked your parents for Christmas, and they probably would have got you the video game. And then he looks at me, I never met this man, and never saw him after that. And he looks at me and he says, listen, man, if you ever want a video game that badly, before you steal it, I want you to call me and I'll find some work for you to do so that you can get the money and pay for the game. And then he works out an arrangement with the store where I'm not allowed to go there for a period of time. He opens up the cell and I'm able to go home. And so a few minutes ago we talked about some of the communicable attributes of God. Remember we talked about goodness and we talked about love and we talked about truthfulness, but one of the other communicable attributes is mercy. And in that moment, that police officer knew that I was guilty. He knew what the law said. He knew the penalty for my crime and I deserved to be punished. But in that instance, he looked upon me with compassion and he looked at me with mercy. And brothers and sisters, as we look at the law, as we see our condition, we know that we are guilty. We know that we deserve to be eternally separated from God because of our sin. But in his divine love, he looks upon us with mercy and he sends his son Jesus to come down, live the life that we could never live, die the death that we deserved so that we could be forgiven for our sins. Who wouldn't serve a God like that? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness, Lord God. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your law, Lord God, because it shows us our sinful condition. It shows us your standard. And if we're being honest, we know that we could never reach that apart from you. We have all sinned, we have all trespassed the law, we have all lived defiantly and done what we wanted to do. But Lord God, I pray that in this moment, those under the sound of my voice who don't know you, that they would not harden their heart and continue to live in defiance, but that they would recognize that there is none good, no, not one other than Jesus. And I pray that they would place their faith in Jesus and the finished work that he did over 2,000 years ago. And Lord, for those that are under the sound of my voice that have placed their saving faith in Jesus, I pray that we would be bold in our faith, that we would not take your love and your mercy for granted, but that we would proclaim that you are good. God, you deserve our obedience, our love, and we thank you, and we give you all the glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we all stand as we sing our final selection? Lord, I.